we going to give that purpose some legs? How are we going to get that, make that dirty and grounded and earthy? How are we going to do that? And that's what we're talking about as our practices. And there are eight of them. We talked about four of them last week. So here's the quick test for those of you who've been here. Uh, and the leadership are not allowed to answer the question unless nobody else does. And then please do. Um, can anybody remember what we said our purpose was? Just shout it out. You don't need to put your hands up. It's not class. Loving God and loving well done. Loving God and loving others. That is who we want to be. That is why who we understand God has put us here to be. To love God and to love others. And as we said, those are not two separate things. We can't split them apart. Jesus was deliberately holding these two things together as a one unified idea. And we need to remain committed to that. We love God and we love others. We can't do one without the other. That's our purpose. Now comes the tricky bit. Practices. We did four of them last week. Can we remember? We'll go with any of them. Love one another. Love one another. Well done. Meeting together. Meeting together. Well done, Willie. You can you stop looking at your notes. You're cheating. <laughs> Somebody said something. Sharing our lives together. Is that what you said? Forgiveness, okay. Does anybody know what they're sharing our lives together? Well done, Lewis. Good job, everyone. Yeah. So we are committed to meeting together. We are committed to sharing our lives together. We are committed to loving one another. And we are committed to forgiving one another and being forgiven. Those are the first four practices. Not the most important. There's no hierarchy here. It's just an order. And those are four things that we think if we do those, we will be beginning to express what it means to love God and love others. So today we're going to look at the other four of those practices and then in two weeks time we're going to finish this little series by having a look at what we call the preamble, uh, which is um, some words that we put together that at the moment, we, can't, we, we might change this a little, but at the moment it says, relying upon the grace, patience, kindness, power and love of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we will express our purpose using these practices. And the reason we're doing the preamble at the end is because I want us to understand that while we're saying there's a bunch of things we want to do to work out this purpose, this is not about us trying harder. We've been doing a series for about six months now, and the whole point of that series is that our discipleship is not about trying harder. It's about being with Jesus. And so we want to express that. So we're going to finish that off by having a look there. Okay. Let's look at our four practices we're going to look at today. We will challenge and encourage one another and be encouraged and challenged. Let me read to you from the scriptures, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews was probably itself a sermon uh, that was delivered, or at least sections of it were. Here's, we, here's what uh, the writer to the Hebrews says. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. 
And we looked at the next part of this last week, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Or as uh, Eugene Peterson uh, puts it in his message version, he says, uh, how inventive can we be in understanding how we can encourage one another? It's just a brilliant idea. How inventive can you be in the ways to encourage one another? How, How creative could you be in thinking of a way to bless someone? How could you do that? What does it look like? See, challenge is something that is a bit, I don't know about you, but it feels a little bit uncomfortable. But if we're doing this sharing of lives properly, if we're doing this commitment to Jesus thing properly, we will be challenging one another. Not necessarily in a confrontational, you're a terrible person and you're not doing this properly which doesn't really seem to fit with the and encouraging bit. But there is something where we can draw alongside and say, I see you're struggling with prayer. Could we get together and pray? I see this is difficult for you. Could I, could I come alongside? And so we can, we're committed to this idea that none of us have arrived None of us are finished products that leave us going, oh yeah, that's fine, I'm, I've arrived, that's fine. And in actual fact, we all need to continue to grow. And actually, the, the gift to us then is multi-generational. We get the opportunity to share lessons from an older generation to a younger generation. We get the opportunity for a younger generation to come along and challenge some of the long-held beliefs of the older generation Because just because you've held them for a long time doesn't necessarily mean they're right. They might be. But we commit to that challenging and encouraging of one another and also to being encouraged and challenged. Because it's not okay to be the one person in here who walks about and just says, I'm going to challenge you and I'm going to challenge you and I might encourage you, but please don't speak to me. If I... I, I, uh, I chair a committee for the Baptist Union of Scotland called the Mission Initiative Group. Um, And it's a a great joy in my life. And the last time we met was a couple of weeks ago, and I led the devotional at the start. And uh, I was talking about this notion of this idea of encouraging one another, partly because I I knew I was talking about this. And so I said, well, listen, let's just go around the table. There were about 10 of us there who were uh, all, some are ministers, some are just regular people in church. And uh, I said, let's just tell something that has been an encouragement to you, that you have seen God doing. And it was great. It was really faith building. It was really encouraging. So if you're in a small group, let me encourage you to do that. Go around the room and just say, what's God encouraging you about? What have you seen that's an encouragement? So we were all telling different stories. Anyway, most of you will know I was away preaching at an event a couple of weeks ago uh, and it it went well and it was great fun and a privilege to be asked to do that. Anyway, the guy that had organised that was in the meeting and Ali decided that he was going to say well, the thing that's encouraged me is just how good Glenn was at this thing. I'm not doing this to tell you how good I was. I'm telling you this because I was dying. In front of 10 or 12 people that I know pretty well, he was sitting there trying to tell me that I'd done it. I couldn't look him in the eyes. 
I was like, I'm, I thought, no, but you can't talk, but it's fine. You know, it was lucky. I didn't try very, it was, it was, I really struggled with being encouraged because I just felt really awkward. Now, I love doing it to other people. In fact, I vividly remember picking on Jonathan one day when he sat here and just speaking good things over him. But we need to learn not only to be the kind of people who speak good things over one another, who speak encouragement to one another, but to be people who receive that, like to receive a compliment. Oh, goodness, Scottish people are the worst in the world at that. Because we either get this big deflector shield up that goes, boing, wasn't really about me, was all about Jesus. Right? Come on, we've all seen somebody do that. Oh, well, you know, all, the, all to do with Jesus. And at some level that's true, right? But you know what? You put a bit of effort in. Accept the compliment. Just say, thanks. That's really encouraging. And off you go. Doesn't need to be a big deal. Simple. But we begin to generate a community that builds one another up and encourages one another. And you know, I I can think of a couple of churches, both of them fairly big, that that are thriving. God's doing amazing things in them. And they, they, have a, they have this culture. They've got it down. And if you come as an outsider, it can feel a little bit weird. But they're always speaking good things about people. They're always recognizing the best in people and calling it out of them. I'd love that to become one of the markers of this place. That people say, what's that Portobello Baptist Church place like? Well, I tell you what, they're always encouraging one another. Like, it just... It's a great place to be. You know, I feel kind of almost good when I'm there. That is what we're after. Not just because we want to make people feel good, but because we bring glory to God when we do that. So, we're going to do that. And the goal of this challenge and encourage, as we've been talking about for months now, is not that you become a better version of yourself. Okay? We're not after Glenn's best life today. It's not the goal. The goal is we become more Christ-like. We're to become more like Jesus. That's what we're trying to aim for. And in challenging and encouraging and calling out the good stuff and occasionally saying, yeah, I'm not so sure that's your best. Those are the things that will help us to become more like Jesus. Okay. Next one. We will welcome all and do all we can to help others to trust and to follow Jesus. The challenge of Jesus is that he makes it abundantly clear that he comes for those who are on the outside. He says in Luke 5, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've been in a church that refused to have this as their, one of their kind of statements because they were worried about what it said. We're lowering our standards with kind of the short version of a very long conversation. And I understand the fear, right? Because to say, oh, we just welcome everyone. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means you're going to get involved in the mess of people's lives because Jesus never leaves people the way they come in. But Jesus also never put a barrier in front of someone coming other than the religious. Anyone, 
Half his parables are told because people ask questions like, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? Because it was seen to be not only you're not being seen with the right kind of people, but actually these were very definitely the wrong kind of people. It meant that he was ritually unclean, so he couldn't go into the temple. Well, how can a rabbi be like that? Well, the reason was because he was so committed to saying that anyone can come. In fact, Jesus tells a parable in the Gospel of Luke where this man hosts a banquet and the right people all say they'll come and then they don't turn up. And Jesus says, the man hosting the banquet, he goes out into the streets and he gets the lame and the broken and he brings them in. Well, you're not supposed to do that. That's a, that, was a, those, that example was supposed to be those Jews who were excluded. And then he says, actually, we've still got space. Go out into the highways and the byways. In other words, go and get the Gentiles. Go and get the proper outsiders and bring them in too. These were the people who weren't welcome. These were the people who couldn't repay any kindness they received. That's the message of Jesus. That's the radical nature of what Jesus was doing. He was turning it upside down. It's back to that question we've talked about before. If Jesus was just a nice guy, nobody puts him on the cross. Right? You don't kill nice people. But you do when people come in and completely upset the apple cart, turn the whole thing on its head and say the outsider is now the insider. And so we must welcome all we don't expect people to have their lives together when they come here. When people start exploring faith around about us, we don't expect them to have all the answers. We don't expect them to have their life in order. And so we welcome all. It's messy. That's all I can promise you. If we live this out, it should be messy. In any number of ways. Complicated, difficult, time-consuming, problematic, creating all sorts of issues where we'll have to live out some of these other practices like forgiving one another and all that kind of stuff. But I tell you what, half the Bible, well, the, half the New Testament is written because there were all these people being welcomed in with all sorts of issues and Paul and the other writers take the time to write to them and say, yeah, you probably want to fix this, that's not ideal. You probably want to fix this, that's, that's not ideal. But well done on this. That's the kind of thing that's going on. And so we want to be a place that will welcome all and, and do all we can to help others to trust and follow Jesus. Because that's the thing. We're not just welcoming people here saying, bring all your stuff and just come and sit in your misery. That's all we've got to offer you. Actually, no. We're saying something profoundly other than that. We're saying we have found life and life in all of its abundance. We would love you to bring all your challenges, all your problems. We'd love you to bring your life just exactly as it is. Bring it to Jesus. And let's see what that God wants to do. That's what we do. We're not just leaving people exactly where they are. We are doing everything we can. Everything we can to help people trust and follow Jesus. Which will have profound impacts on their life. Those of us who've met Jesus, we know that to be true, right? Yes, we do. That's good. It's really pleasing. Now, there's a lot of hard work ahead of us. God does good things in our lives. I was going to talk about John 4 here. I don't really have time. 
John 4 is, I think, maybe one of the most profound stories in the New Testament. John 4 is where Jesus sends the disciples off into town to get some bread. He takes a seat at a well and asks a woman who is there at noon for a drink. So straight away, the woman is there at noon. If you've ever been to the Middle East, you know that noon is stinking hot. Like, ridiculously hot. It is not the time of day to go and try and carry a large water jar. This lady is clearly hiding from people. But now she's found by Jesus. And he asks her for a drink. That straight away is the wrong thing to do because a man wouldn't talk to a woman, particularly a woman who's hiding from other people. It was, it was undone. And so Jesus is saying something about her gender and talking something about their relationship like that. But not only that, this woman's a Samaritan. The Samaritans and the Jews hated one another. And so Jesus begins to have a conversation with her about worship and where worship's supposed to take place. And what happens there is that Jesus says, this thing that you've all thought, whether it's you're worshipping on the temple or your worship, which is what the Jews did, or you're worshipping on the mountain, which is what the Samaritans did, Jesus says, you've got it all wrong. Because actually what the Father is looking for is worshippers who worship in spirit and truth. It's got nothing to do with where you are, it's about who you are. And so Jesus becomes, uh, begins to restore something of her Samaritanness, her race, her ethnicity. And then he says, go fetch your husband. And she says, well, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right, you've had a few of those, eh? And suddenly, this hidden brokenness in her life is brought into the light. And all the shame is taken away because somebody sees her and hasn't condemned her. And she suddenly goes, oh, this man might be the Messiah. So she runs off into town and tells everyone. So no, she's gone from hiding to going to tell people. Without Jesus saying, right, now you must go, Matthew 28, I want you to read that now, now you must go, that doesn't happen. She just knows, because Jesus has done something remarkable, and off she goes. And she, she runs into the village and says, come and see this man who's told me everything I've ever done. And you can imagine the local neighborhood, they, they, they know this lady. They're like, oh wow, that would be an interesting, like this is Jeremy Kyle 2.0 they're expecting. And it says some of them came to faith because of the woman's story. And so they asked Jesus to stay. And it turns out even more of them then have this encounter with Jesus. It says, um, we, had, we believed because of what you said. Now we have spoken with him and we believe. And there's this sense that they suddenly have this encounter with Jesus. And that's what we mean when we welcome all. We're not, we're not pegging people based on their, their gender or based on their... Um, their sinful past or on their ethnicity or anything like that. None of that matters is what Jesus is saying in John 4. He's saying all of that, all of that I can deal with. They just need to meet me. And so our job is to welcome all and to do everything we can to help them to trust and follow Jesus. We will serve the community of Portobello and surrounding areas, reaching out in love and seeking its peace and its prosperity.
been a difficult couple of weeks for the church in the press. Um, Franklin Graham uh, has been has planned to come to Scotland, uh, well, to the United Kingdom, and to preach in various places, and and he's been refused entry, and so there's a big hoo-ha, and. Yeah, there's problems on all sides of that issue. But it's been bad press. And then Destiny Church, like we prayed about last week, they were stopped from using the Usher Hall because of some guy that they uh, had invited. I'm not familiar with his name. And so there's, there's two issues going on here. One is, is the church being wise in the way we deal with some of these things? And the other is, there's a real freedom of speech issue here and a freedom of religion issue that is real. Um, it, it is problematic that people are being told they can't rent buildings that are owned by public bodies like councils because there's something they're saying that is entirely normal and orthodox and that might not be expressed well but it is an orthodox belief and they're being told that they can't, um, they can't rent these spaces. It's problematic for the place of faith in the public sphere. I don't want to go any further than that. People are getting really excited about it and saying all sorts of things that are just, frankly, unhelpful, a lot of it. There is a statement by the Evangelical Alliance, a guy called Peter Linus, who wrote something last week that I think is really clear on the law of it and the concerns that there are for the future, um, while recognising that it doesn't mean that we need to agree with everything that the kind of people that have been invited are saying, or at very least the tone that they're using. The language that some people have started to use is that the church is in exile, that we've been kind of exiled in our own community, that we're on the outside. And they're borrowing language from the Old Testament where the people of God were carried off in judgment. And this is where I have a slight problem with this language of exile because I don't believe God's judgment is against us. And that, that's an issue. But their experience was of being carried off into Babylon and uh, being held in exile there. And the, the prophet Jeremiah comes along and speaks to the people in, uh, in exile. And he, he writes a great many things. But one of the things he writes is a letter in Jeremiah 29. And I've spoken a little bit about this in the past here. But I, th- these verses... I think are profoundly important for us as we understand what it is to live in a a world where even if we're not in exile, and that's not the appropriate language, we can recognize that there is sometimes a hostility to the place of the church in our current culture. And we don't need to be afraid of that. We're definitely not persecuted, so don't go out of here thinking, oh no, the church has definitely been persecuted. You want to look what persecution is? We look around the world, we see our brothers and sisters, and we give thanks for our freedom here. We don't get all hyped up about being persecuted. But we, do, we are experiencing something different. So the question is, how do we live in that space? What should we do? And Jeremiah is writing to these people who are in exile. And he says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And what he doesn't say is, hang on, it'll be all right. He says this, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. 
marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. In other words, he's saying, don't shut yourselves down. Don't become a little isolated community. Dig in. Think that you're here for the long term. Behave like you're here for a while. You might say, if we're thinking about it in the context of Portobello, you know, you've rented your house here. Put nice things on the walls. Make it a home. Make friends. Commit to them. Join clubs. Join a church. Get involved. Plan for things that are going to take 10 years to see fruition. That's what he means when he says plant a garden. I mean, I am the worst gardener in the world. But you don't just, you can't just plant something one day and it pops up the next day, right? It takes months, it takes seasons to see things come to fruition. That's what he's talking about here. We, we commit for the long haul. And then he says this, also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. It's an astonishing line. Babylon was an evil place. And God says, seek the peace and the prosperity of that city. And so for us, we should be doing everything we can to see the blessing of Portobello. Every way that Portobello will be blessed. Everything we can do to bless it, we should do that. Even if it doesn't mean that we get to talk about Jesus. And that's the ultimate blessing, is that we reveal Jesus to people. But there's lots of other things we can do. We can get involved in the political scene here, as complicated as that is in Portobello. But we can, we can do that. We can get involved in helping people who are in need. We can be engaged with local businesses, for example. Like, rather than shopping at big box stores, shop at a little local store, if we're able to. Those kinds of things. And we seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. We are to serve the community of Portobello and the surrounding areas. Reaching out in love and seeking its peace and its prosperity. We exist for those outside our four walls. I have three P's for how we can do that. I normally never do things like that, but I was praying one day and these three came to me, so they've stuck. We can do partnership. Okay? The first P is partnership. So things like Porty Art Walks On. We can partner with them. There's some shared values there. We, we love beauty and art and all the good things that it proclaims. So we partner with them. We use our building for that sort of thing. There's other events like that. So the community council use our building. But we partnered with them to run the hustings because it's important to us that, that political free uh, elections take place. And it's good that our, our community was able to gather. And the, that partnership was great. We used our building. That was fine. They allowed us to chair the event. We could set the tone for that whole discussion. Profoundly important partnership. So there will be people that we can partner with. We can share things with. We can get involved in. There's provision. We have resources. 
whether that's a building, leaky or not, whether that's the hall at the back, we have people, we do have money. And so we can sometimes just be a place of provision for Portobello. So that is, an example might be letting the community council use our hall downstairs, our cafe space downstairs for a relatively nominal sum because it's important the community council have somewhere to meet. We can do that. There are other things we can provide. We've helped out some homeless people in the local area just by providing stuff. We have our, our food bank that's getting filled up here again. Please keep bringing food for this, but we're going to fill this up and keep delivering that with Edinburgh City Mission being used in the local area. If you know people that need a food parcel but could never go and ask for one, just tell us. We'll make up a bag of stuff out of this and drop it off at the door. We can provide stuff to the local community. We do our drop-in cafe on a Wednesday, a provision for the local community. And then the final P of that is proclamation. Because we do want to tell people about Jesus. Because that is ultimately the best thing that we have to offer. We'll do all these other things, but we want to proclaim something about who Jesus is. So we, we partner, we provide, and we proclaim. Is that all right? Good. This was supposed to be a short sermon. Sorry. Getting carried away. Last one. We will join God on his mission in the world. Could be here forever. This is, this is a series, not a sermon. This one. A couple of profoundly important things. This is God's mission, not ours. God's mission has a church. Not that God's church has a mission. Does that make sense? It is his mission. Since, since Genesis 2, we see that God is the one who has been pursuing the restoration of creation. And notice the language I used there, the restoration of creation. Not just the salvation of human souls, but actually the restoration of all of creation. That's what God has been in the business of doing. It's what the prophets speak of, and it's what Jesus talked of. And so we get involved in that. And our mission, and we've been having some discussion among the leadership about some of these images I've been using for the various bits and pieces. Because you can imagine using images like this is um, everyone loves everything you do. So that's there. Uh, this one here wasn't originally a world, a globe, but people thought that was the best one. And I largely agree with that. The, um, how do I put this? The downside of an image like this is that we then say, mission, that's what happens over there, wherever there happens to be. And that is true, because mission does happen over there. But mission starts here. This isn't just a global thing as in an away over there thing, but it's a local thing. Mission starts here. How does that work out? All of us are here because someone somewhere told us about Jesus. Might be our parents. Might be a friend. Might have been in a church. But somehow someone told us about Jesus. Someone was on mission. It probably wasn't someone spectacular. 
It likely wasn't in a Billy Graham event these days. That's not where most people are saved. They're saved in relationships, one-on-one, people at their workplace who just carry something about them. That's who we are. We're on mission because the best description of evangelism I ever heard came from my preaching pastor, a guy called, preaching professor, a guy called um, Daryl Johnson. He said evangelism is just joining in with a conversation that God's already having with someone. And you don't join the conversation unless you're invited by one or the other. Do you get that? So you only join the conversation if the person says to you, so what about this? Or if God says to you, you might want to have a join this conversation and say something to you. So there's this sense of a dynamic conversation. I love that. Absolutely love that. Because it's God who's on mission, not us. That leaves us with eight practices then. Meet together. Share our lives together. Love one another. Forgive one another. Can anybody remember the first one from today? challenge and encourage one another we welcome all we serve the community of Portobello and we join God on his mission if we figure out how we begin to work out these eight things and there'll be seasons and rhythms and sometimes that we're doing well in one and not well in the other and they're not there to be a scorecard that beat us over the head But they are something of an expression of what we want to be as we seek to become this people of purpose, loving God and loving others. Let me pray. Father God, thank you that you have called us as a people here, that you have called us uh, to follow you on your mission, that you have given us this purpose. Help us to live it out well, not as a burden, but as a joy. Not as something extra we're adding to all that you've called us to be, but as a natural, unforced rhythm of working out our our faith and our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.